Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NBA playoffs heats up in its second round, although some of the series haven't exactly been too exciting quite yet. Softball national championships on the college side of things are being played at 3 p.m. after the teams played eight games in eight days. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League, but nobody circles the wagons quite like college football. Here I was thinking we were going to start the show talking NBA playoffs, and then all of a sudden, college football has had enough of the NFL taking all their news away and said, hey, forget about your practices. Forget about your updates from Green Bay. We want in on this action. And what do we get? Let's expand the college football playoff. Okay. Let's hear what you have to say, folks. We talking... Six, we talking eight. Oh no, we talking a dozen, 12 teams, Al. 12, 12 teams, six highest ranked conference champions plus six at large spots. Let's put this up for debate. Let's give it to the people. We are the committee and we won 12. And damn it, there's no way it has anything to do with the fact that because of a global pandemic, college football lost millions upon millions of dollars and are maybe looking for a way to make up some of that money as well. You think? You think that might be a possibility, fans and friends? My great partner, John Tiny Lund, has hit on what it's all about, what it's always all about. It's always all about the almighty dollar and the old report. Yours truly, AWP, referring to myself in the third person, has always been dead set against more than four. I thought four was perfect. I thought four was just right. And I defied people to find five or six. There's always going to be a fight no matter how many you have. Just like the NCAA basketball tournament. Unfortunately, it has evolved into The same teams every year, for the most part, which has resulted in the NCAA having to reconsider the circumstances and take a longer and closer look because you lose the national fan base if it's going to be the same teams every year. If it's going to be Clemson and Ohio State, Alabama and fill in the blank, you're losing a lot of the national audience. You'll have Alabama and you'll have Ohio state and you'll have the entire state of South Carolina, 
at Oklahoma or Notre Dame, Indiana, or whoever their fourth team might be. But the problem is you are now really putting a cap on your audience who is tired of watching the same teams play the same games. We're lucky if we get one good one. So they've decided it looks like they're going to bump it up. And they're actually going to bump it up a notch. Not two notches. They're going to triple it. Not six. Not the AWP plan where the first two get buys. They're going to double that and go to 12 where the first four get buys. And then we have that eight pack resulting in four winners. And then we go with our eight team quarterfinal scenario. Now, if they do this and they integrate the bowls, eventually it has a chance to be terrific. Out of the box, according to Heather Dinich, they are not going to be able to go off campus for these first round of games because of the current system requires commitments to the bowls that exist as part of the four game or excuse me, the three game series, which is actually only two games for the bowls because they have the separate championship game, which is not a bowl, which I still think is ridiculous. The championship game should be one of the big bowls, whether it's the Rose, whether it's the sugar, whether it's the orange, that should be Fiesta. You want to throw in, you know, get the peach out of there, please. The peach should not be in the mix, but the point is of the big bowls, one of them should be the championship game. They want to take New Year's back. That's great. That's great. Have the quarterfinals eventually on New Year's Day. So you have four or two or two, two on New Year's Eve, two on New Year's Day, whatever the case may be. Then you go to the semis. I would ultimately like to see, you know, all of the bowls integrated, not all 49 of the bowls, but however many teams you wind up with, whether it's 12, whether it's 16, I would like to see as many of the bowl games put into the system as possible to regenerate interest in the bowl games. The days when we used to pine for the Sun Bowl and look forward to the trip to the old Texas town of El Paso. When we get pumped up for the Holiday Bowl from San Diego. When we were all excited about the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. When we dug the Hall of Fame. When it was cool to watch those games on the 29th, the 30th, the 31st, the Holiday Bowl. Always a classic. Classic finishes. Always always one of the most exciting games. Build those in. Find a way to bring those back to relevance. Fill those buildings with fans from both sides. Because you're not going to have huge media, huge hangers-on, huge I-want-to-be-seen fans where you're going to have to reserve seats for them and all the celebrities and the TV shows they want to hawk. I want to see a full house of 40,000 from each fan base or 35,000 from each fan base at the Peach Bowl. I want to see the same thing at the Cotton Bowl. I want to see the same thing at, oh, let's say the Hall of Fame Bowl. I want to see the same thing. Crowd screaming in a quarterfinal at the Gator Bowl. 
And then we build to the big four, whether it's the cotton, the rose, the sugar, the orange, the fiesta. Mix all those in, get as many of the bowl games involved as possible. And as I said, if you have to move a couple of them to before New Year's, two of them, or three, or even four of my years, the point is, get the bowl. College football and the bowls are inextricably married to each other in terms of excitement, in terms of fandom, and in terms of television. The day was glorious. New Year's Day in college football was just like being at a smorgasbord. It was a thing of beauty. It was betting heaven. It was TV heaven. Ten, eight, ten games. You started at 11 o'clock and you went until 2 o'clock in the morning. And they were all big-time games. Whether it was the Gator, the Hall of Fame, the Sugar, the Rose, the Fiesta, the Cop. Sometimes you had a couple the night before. Throw in the peach. Sometimes you had the Sugar Bowl the night before on New Year's Eve. Sometimes you had a New Year's night. You always had the orange New Year's night. You started with the cotton on CBS early in the day. You had the gator early in the day on NBC. And then came the Hall of Fame. And then came the Florida Citrus. And then came the Fiesta. And the Rose. And the Sugar. And they just kept coming and coming and coming. You couldn't wait to call the book. Making your plays. I'm going to roll it over. I'm going to try and make it up. How am I going to do it? And national championships were on the line. Was it a playoff? Still a voting system. All right, now we have the playoff. It can still be incredibly cool in a playoff system. If you use the bowls in the proper fashion. I still have told you time and time again. I thought that the three of the four major bowls should be the semifinals and the finals with one bowl rotating around each year. Now that other bowl can be one of the quarterfinal games. One of the big bowls can be a quarterfinal game. Two of the big bowls can be the semis. And the one that is the championship game will be a few days. will will be the next week instead of being on New Year's. We can live with that. We can live with the sugar, rose, orange, Fiesta, whatever it may be, be in the championship game on January 8th. They can wait the one week for when they get the championship game for when it rotates to them. And every other year, they're in the January 1st. Make sure the semifinal. That's the way I called for it 25 years ago. 25 years ago. And they said it couldn't be done. Well, now they're not just going to do it. They're going to do it in a much more expanded scenario because, as you said, they need to make up for a year of lost dollars and they need to get more fans to the stadiums and to the television sets because people are tired of watching Alabama win by four touchdowns. They're tired of fighting over Ohio State or Oklahoma. They're tired of seeing Notre Dame get in and get their ass kicked. They want to see competitive games. So let's see them in 5-12, Let's do it. Let's get it rolling. Find a way to integrate the bowls. And even though I said I only wanted four, and I'll go to six, the old report, 
starting starting to buckle, starting to crack. <laughs> Today was the day. Starting to see the light. That straw on the camel's back is getting a little bit heavier and heavier now. Now a that dozen, we got this rollout. A dozen might just be the way to go. A dozen might just be the way to go. And we've talked on this show many a time, as have all sports talk shows that do college basketball. I love college football. Yeah. I love watching it. I love the crowd. I love the pageantry. I love game day. I love the announcers. I love the quality of the games. The emotion. I can't stand the overtime fucking rule. It's hideous. That's why I hope games never go to overtime. Because I hate the rule. But I love college football. Millions upon millions do. And... Half those people got one of their wishes today because this has long been a discussing point. Once it went from the BCS to four teams, is four enough? Should it be eight? Should it be more? How far should we go? Now we have an answer, and regardless of the circumstances, I haven't seen a quote anywhere of someone actually admitting that a lot of this had to do with their lost revenue from a global pandemic, but I think it was kind of an elbow under the table understood point that eh, this is probably why we're doing it as well. At least hopefully people realized it. There's some excitement to the discussion, and it is going to now be like other sports, all other sports. College football, long the only one of, we're taking the best four and let's cook. Unfortunately for college football, the best four has been the same names. Same four. It's the same for- four. The inception of this playoff, basically. You get a new four every once in a while, but it's the same names. Granted, it'll continue to be the same names, and the SEC is thrilled that they have an opportunity to get those at-large bids so they can get almost half the conference into the college football playoff. They're loving this right now. So there's some interesting aspects of it, and there's some what-ifs, For this past season, which again, please, please, please take with a grain of salt, not only for the global pandemic, but because of the committee that's still going to be deciding what teams get in and where they are seated. Seating would have probably been different than just going one through 12 and saying, well, these teams would have been in. Maybe not. Maybe not. One of the things that people have brought up to potentially switch or make a decision on is that it will be, it will be fun to have schools host the opening round of games, but unfortunately the top four seeds because of their buys won't have an opportunity to host any of their own games. But that's fine. That's okay. They host enough. Anyway, we see that they, you know, those four teams Played nine home games a year anyway. It's true. How many more home games do we need to see them play? Enough. And they're mostly all on television anyway, or somewhere to find. I see Tuscaloosa and the Big Horseshoe enough. I don't need to see, you know, the three seed you know, or, or, or the one seed playing the winner of, uh, you know, the eight nine game at home. Don't need that. Get him in a bowl game. Here's the how 12 teams in 2020 would have looked list 
for people that might be interested. See, now, folks, if you don't think the new report doesn't do his homework, look at what he brings to the table. This is why he's the new report. Bringing you what the playoff scenario would be with a projected new 12-teamer off of last year's Final 12. Listen closely. This is also just updating Al and what he's missing by not having a Twitter account. From our friend of college football, Brett McMurphy, who just happened Despite to Despite the fact that in. I am regularly referred to him. That's right. Famous all over mediums. First round, you had 12 Coastal Carolina that would have played at number five, Notre Dame. Indiana at 11 would have played at Texas A&M. At 10, Iowa State at number seven, Florida. Georgia and Cincinnati, the 9-8 game. In the quarters, Coastal Carolina or Notre Dame at Oklahoma. The winner of the Georgia-Cincinnati game gets to play at Bama. Indiana A&M gets to play Clemson. And Iowa State or Florida would have played Ohio State. The semis, four versus one, three versus two. Some interesting matchups. Nothing there that, you know, quite frankly, you're licking your chops over. Or you can't wait to see. Coastal Carolina and Notre Dame. Is that your most exciting game? Giant versus Giant Killer. There's nothing there that jumps off the page. That says, oh, yeah, that's the game I definitely wanted to see. And boy, oh boy, thank goodness for the 12-team playoff because I would have never got a chance to see that. Right. That's under the bridge. That's what didn't happen. What we have now is a great number of possibilities that could happen, whether it's Central Florida, whether it's Cincinnati, whether it's Coastal Carolina, whatever the case may be. Uh, The little guy now with a legitimate fighting chance to make the postseason playoff system, which if we expand to six, would still be an incredibly remote chance. It would be there. But now, almost a lock that you're going to have one of these teams that everybody clamors, give them their chance. Give the little guy a shot. Let them see what they can do against the big boys. And when everybody says, well, you know, Alabama would kick their ass. Well, they're not going to have to play Alabama in the first round. They're going to play in the second round. The other aspect of it is how many games do we want these teams to play, which Heather Dinesh was talking about today. Uh, if you're going to run the table, you're going to have to play four extra games. Right. One way to minimize that is enough with 13 regular season games. Let's get rid of the Sisters of the Poor matchup. Let's play 11 regular season games. That's plenty. Conference championship. There's your 12. And then let's roll. Then let's roll. The max out at 16, if you're in the back portion of the playoff system and you somehow manage to run the table to the finals. And if you're a top four seed, you max out at 15 with your conference championship. That's enough. Right. 
And don't tell me we need the you don't need the money. You don't need the money. That ex, that extra game or two is not gonna make or break. Because this will more than make up for it. We don't need to see those games. I don't need to see, you know, name that you come into Alabama or Ohio State for a million bucks and lose, you know, fifty-nine to three. You don't want to see the Citadel roll into town and take down, try to take down the Crimson Tide. Yeah, it's just put the spread at fifty-three and a half. Why, why, why don't we just send you know, the Christian in against the Lions and and give me a point spread? Because that's basically what it is. Except we're going to pay the Christians to die. You know, it, it, it's just it gets tiresome because the spread gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it is all about the money. So spread some of the money to those teams. Find a way to prevent those. We need the payday. Use some of this money for those schools. Alabama's going to get plenty of money anyway. Our state's going to get plenty of money anyway. Throw some couch change to the Citadel. There's going to be plenty of money left over when the system goes in, you know, gets, you know, gets kicked in. It's going to be more TV money. More money, more, more money for everybody. Well, Spread it out. That's another thing Spread too. The TV money is what some think will stall this past 2023 when this will be able to come into effect. Is there's going to be an opportunity for these networks to now be able to bid once the con this current contract runs out, bid on those new games, new playoff games. Who wants them? Who's getting them? Let's get the Rose Bowl back on NBC, please. Can I get the Cotton Bowl back on CBS where it belongs and off a of goddamn Fox? Can I get the Cotton Bowl at, at 11 o'clock in the morning the way it's supposed to be or noon the way it's supposed to be on CBS? Can I get the Rose back on NBC, the Orange back on NBC where they belong, the Sugar on ABC where it belongs? Give you know, the Liberty Bowl to ESPN. <laughs> Let the bidding begin. I don't, ES, I, I don't need all the bowl games on one now. That's when the bidding is. Give them the Holiday Bowl. Give them the Holiday Bowl on ESPN. was always a classic. Always a classic. Jim McMahon deep at the gun. Eric Dickerson and Craig James, the Pony Express. Steve Young running wild. BYU always in the Holiday Bowl. <laughs> God, those were the days. Folks, for a betting young man, which the new report is now and the old report used to be, there was nothing like it. Literally, I said it was a smorgasbord. It, it was all of that and more. Because it was it just kept coming at you. It kept coming at you. And when those lines first came out and you sat with your buddy, with the USA Today, and you did your breakdown on every bowl game, and you did your homework, and our friends at the Gold Sheet gave you their info, and you couldn't wait to start making your plays, and you actually called them in the old-fashioned way, uh, you don't know what it was like. You don't know what it was like. You could only imagine. No, I don't. So much better than just punching numbers into a computer. It was real. You could feel it. You could taste it. You could touch it. 
Well, sometimes now it's like funny money. You know, you just put your credit card information in. It's just not the same. Hit a couple buttons and it's it's, it's gone. It's just not the same. You wanted to beat the book because it was a guy. It was a human. It was a person. You wanted to beat your guy. You wanted to go pick up that money. See him hand over the money. Smirk on beauty. one of the faces each time. Rare, rare, but a thing of beauty. Because unbeknownst to our listening audience, the old report used to go at it pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, no text to the new report, though. Maybe I'll get back into the game as using me as a vice. Hey, this is a, a lock tonight. None of that. Very simple, because once it starts, it becomes the snowball going downhill. <laughs> I know from experience, once you start, it becomes incredibly difficult. I was, I would look, I, I was single. I was relatively successful. Didn't have to worry about supporting anybody except myself and whatever, you know, not supporting my girlfriend, but you know, going out, I was gambling every night. Absolutely. Had my baseball system, NBA, NFL, college football, college basketball, even some occasional ice, even some occasional ice, rarely on the ice. A uh, lot of, lot of baseball had my system down based upon starting pitchers, tendencies, how they did on the road. I was big off the last three starts for starters, always analyzing their last three starts. Uh, I had no problem laying the wood on a good starter. And that, that to me, that was, it was all about pitching matchups, all about pitching matchups and how they went in their last three starts. Always huge for me. Always huge. Big one now is no runs in the first inning. Live like you're dying. Six outs. Three up, three down. Let's go. Get me to the second with zeros on the board. Well, it's it's changed dramatically with you know, in-game betting and you know the futures and partials. You used to, you used to get the better. You couldn't bet on that stuff. Couldn't bet what happened in the first inning. You couldn't bet anything on a game in game. Once it started, man, your your players should play. Get your money back is go to the West Coast games. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Pac 12 after dark. We're trying to win back the day in one game. Here you go. Well, it'll be an interesting talking point for college football because this will be the talking point now for the next couple of years. To the NBA we go. A Lakerless nation, Ugh. a Nickless nation, no surprise there, a LeBronless nation. We we now have an NBA playoff with eight teams remaining, only two franchises of which. Listen closely, folks. For your young folks out there, listen even more closely. Only two of these eight franchises have ever won an NBA championship. None. Not the Clippers, not the Jazz, not the Nuggets, not the Suns. None from the West and two from the East. And the last one to win a championship was the Philadelphia 76ers against our Los Los Angeles Lakers in 1983. And, of course, the Bucs won with uh, a guy with the name of Lou Alcindor. And you can look this up. That's the guy who later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But he was still Lou Cinder 
when the Bucks won their one and only title in 1971, uh, sweeping the then Baltimore Bullets and the great Earl the Pearl Monroe, who today would be, well, he was called Black Jesus back then. He would certainly be called that today because Earl Monroe was probably the most exciting player in the NBA in his prime. Maybe not the best, but certainly the most exciting. He was magical, and he led that 1971 bullet team to an upset of the defending champion Knicks in the 71 Eastern Finals in a knockdown, dragout seven-game series which was a war of attrition between two teams that despised each other, between two teams that had wars, and they went on to take on the young Luel Cinder and the Bucks and the aging veteran, the great Oscar Robertson, in his waning years, who won his first and only championship as they just demolished the Bullets in four straight. So you have one Buck championship in 1971. You have the last Sixer championship. In 1983, they won other ones, mind you. Uh, of course, with Will Chamberlain in 1967, but and with the Syracuse Nets before they moved to Philadelphia. But the point is, that's how long it's been with any of the franchises remaining having won an NBA championship, and only two of these franchises have won an NBA championship. So it's all about the new order. And tonight we saw a series on the brink of ending, a series that I thought was going to be fabulous. Nets, Bucks, two highest scoring teams in the league. The Nets without James Harden after 43 seconds in game one, no problem. Bucks couldn't put, put the ball in the ocean. Nets roll. And then in game two, an embarrassment. One of the most shocking games I've ever seen as the Bucks not only were hideous, they rolled over and curled up into a ball and played dead trailing by as many as 49 points. And that Nets just annihilate them. And into Milwaukee tonight for game three, can Giannis find a way? Can they survive? Because down 3-0, as you all know in the NBA, no team has ever come back from 3-0. This is not the Red Sox. This is not hockey. What's happened a few times? Never happened in the NBA. And the Bucks jump out early. They're rolling. They're going great. They're up 21. Slowly but surely, here come the Nets. And what turns into one of the ugliest offensively challenged games you've ever seen between the two highest scoring teams in the league. Bucks shoot 38%. Nets shoot 36%. Both miserable from three. Kevin Durant comes alive in the fourth quarter. All of a sudden, he hits a three. It's 83-80. And the Bucks find a way to score the last six. Despite the fact that you know, Giannis is out there chucking threes and shooting air balls from the foul line. Brooke Lopez is one for seven from the field. Middleton has a brilliant game. It's two huge buckets down the stretch. And my guy, the guy I love, the guy I reason that I picked the Bucks to go to the NBA Finals, the tremendous point guard who struggled all night long, makes a brilliant move down the stretch down 83-82. Little spinorama, laying with the left hand for an 84-83 lead. 
Then brilliant defense forces a Bruce Brown runner. They hit the rebound, a couple fouls because they had a foul to give. Then they foul Middleton. He makes it both. And then with a foul to give, they do not foul. And Durant gets off a desperation double-team runner of a three. The front of the really looked like it was going in. But it did not. Drew Holiday winds up getting the winning bucket. Even though he had a bad game, he got it done down the stretch. Uh, huge clutch bucket. Maybe, maybe this is the start of something. Let's go back a couple years. Remember when Milwaukee was the one seed, when they were rolling, they stomped Toronto twice. Looked like they had game three at hand. All of a sudden, Toronto pulls a rabbit out of the hat, dead in the water, boom. Next thing you know, four straight. Not saying that's going to happen here. But Milwaukee is alive breathing on their own and has a game four at home to even the series. And I don't think we'll see James Harden in that game. So Milwaukee goes out and plays a good game, which they haven't done yet. They can absolutely even the series at 2 How about scoring 86 points and losing by 100 and then coming back in the next night, scoring 86 points and winning by three if you're the Milwaukee Bucks? And, folks, these weren't 1990s NBA playoff games where the scores were 86-83, but it was because of the way the game was played here. Both teams just played like hot garbage for many stretches of this game. And shame on the Bucks because they're going to be kicking themselves. We said on this show, unfortunately, and it's not nice to say, but if you're playing the Nets – you almost have to hope for them to have something go wrong. And that happened 43 seconds in the first game. James Harden gets hurt. He's out. Now you got a, a puncher's chance. Now it's just two guys instead of three. They lose kind of a close one. Okay, it's game one. Get the kinks out. Figure out what to do in game two. And then they got shellacked. You can't lose a basketball game like that. You just can't. I know that they won this game. It was hard fought toward the end, at least. But when it's just two of your guys carrying you and everybody else is playing like dogs, of course, the but same could be two, said for the it was, Nets. It was, it was almost a two on two game. Nobody did anything for the Nets either. Joe Harris had a miserable game. Bruce Bruce Brown was uh, pretty good, but then you know he, he missed some big shots down the stretch. Bruce Brown shooting at the end, taking it to the ten, left hand, not even close. Defend, but credit to credit to the Bucks defensively, they did a great job. They got the ball out of Irving's hands. They got the ball out of Durant's hands, which was difficult. I, I agree with Coach Anthony. You got to double team Durant. Got to. to. You got to get him, the ball. Get it out out of his hands. It's as simple as that. You must make, even if it's Irving, you must make somebody else beat you. You know, you double team, you double team Durant, and you know, you jump on Irving as well. Whoever he finds open's got to beat me. And, and and you know, you sprint back to him. You got to do it because nobody else can make a shot. Joe Harris, great shooter, couldn't put the ball in the ocean. Missed some huge wide open shots down the stretch. 15-footer offensive rebound, kick back out for three, miss. Then Durant got hot and started making shots. And uh, it, when Durant is rolling, you don't think he's 
And it's not because, you know, it's not, it's not Steph. It's a different kind of scenario. You, when Durant gets that 17 to eight, that, that 13 to 17 foot mid range from all over the court, out right elbow, left elbow, baseline, spin and jump off the glass, the angle jump shot straight in with no glass. To me, the hardest shot because you're at the worst possible angle. The pull-up, you literally think he's never going to miss. You're shocked when he misses because he makes it look, I think, easier than any mid-range jump shooter has ever made it look. Part of it is the fact that he's 6'10 or 6'11. Incredibly long arms. Smooth as the day is long. And it's just such a sweet stroke. Now, he was bad tonight for three quarters, shooting around 33%. But down the stretch, he picked them up. He made big shots. He made difficult shots. And he made them on his own. He made them against help off the screen roll. He made them off the dribble. He made them from, I mean, when he hit the three-pointer to make it 83-80, I, I thought the bucks were cooked. I really did. I thought there was, well, there it is. You know, you didn't double him, and you know, the best guy on the floor struggled, got last couple buckets, got himself rolling. You let him get off a three, relatively clean look, you're done. But to their credit, they got up off the mat, Middleton to the rack. I don't even know if that ball was going in. When Blake Griffin pulls the net for a goaltend, they get the stop at the other end. To his credit, the big stiff, whichever Lopez twin they have, not to be confused, whichever twin Morris, whichever Morris twin the Clippers have. All right. Uh, one for seven from the field, but five blocks and really was a tower of strength in the middle of the century. Uh, comes up strong again on defense. And they don't call the timeout. Holiday, as I said before, spinorama to the rack. And even though he's on the right side, he shoots it with the left hand. Well, he could have shot it with the right hand. Shoots it with the left hand. Uh, puts him ahead. And uh, they were great defensively. Again, the inbounds was a train wreck. As you said, winds up with Bruce Brown going to the rack and putting up a left-handed runner. Uh, with the defense converging on him, they get the rebound. And uh, they live to fight another day. But it was one of the uglier games, considering the fact this is the two best offensive teams in the league in terms of scoring with lots of firepower. And yeah, the Bucks two guys got it done. A lot of shots, but they got it done. No help from anybody else. Uh, Holiday's bucket was huge, but no real help. Nothing from the bench, nothing from either bench. Brown, some help for their big two, but not much help elsewhere either. Amazing. You find, and that sometimes that's what it takes. We've seen it lots of times. We just talked about it with, you know, Toronto finding a way against the Bucks to get themselves back into the series with that one win. Now, what will that do for the rest of the team? But Giannis has got to get down in the box. He's got to stop bringing the ball up court between him putting the ball between his legs, twenty-five feet from the rim, accomplishes nothing. Then he goes to the basket and dribbles all the way back out. What are you doing? What are you doing? Post, repost, move the ball. 
As Coach Van Gundy said, it's easier to guard when the ball's in one spot. It's much easier for the defense. And then the rest of the offense plays, what are they doing? They're standing around. They're just watching. You're not playing screen roll. You're not creating mismatches. You're not creating double teams. Picks to a wide open guy. No give and go. No screen roll, weak side help, lob for dunks. Nothing. It's just Giannis. Two long steps and see what happens. Again, they survived tonight. They must make some changes. This should be the series of the conference semifinals. Unfortunately for myself as a viewer, as a Lakers fan, I don't really care about the Bucks. I don't believe in Giannis or his supporting cast, especially after last year. And for all that Kevin Durant is, for how he can be on social media, where he'll fire back at anybody that comes in his way, for him being, we'll just say tied for it and not anger anybody, the best basketball player in the world, I can't enjoy any of that because how he's gone about his career and I don't care for how he's picked out his teammates and teams to get to where he is. I just can't get around Almost it. Almost an old report school of thought from the young man. Just can't get around it. I cannot get around it. I've come around on LeBron. I'm all aboard the appreciation you came train around on LeBron, on LeBron because he's a Laker. That did help. But I came did around help. when he did went help. from villain to hero, back to villain again, but when he was the hero, dethroning the Warriors, the 73-win Warriors, down 3-1, hero LeBron. How the narrative changed. I came around then, so a little early, but the Lakers thing does help. This Durant stuff, though, going to the Warriors, coming to Brooklyn, bringing in Kyrie, Harden, now Blake wants to join the show. I just can't get around it. I don't know what it is. Maybe that'll be something, again, that after a couple seasons I'll appreciate, but everything he wins, these championships, to me, they're all slightly asterisks. Dude, good ball. He's incredible. The way that it's happened who he's playing with, especially these Nets. I don't know how, if you're not a Brooklyn Nets fan, you could find any joy in this team. You don't hate them. They're the villains of the East and the whole league. So that's the unfortunate part for this series, watching it from afar as we must do now that the Lakers are home. Well, I'm rooting for the Bucs because I like True Holiday. He's the guy I desperately wanted the Lakers to find a way to get. Uh, and he did a great job on Irving tonight, even though he struggled offensively. He did make the winning bucket. And I thought he would be the difference for them to take the next step. We'll see. Maybe that bucket gives him the kind of confidence that he needs to go out and have a great game four on the offensive end because they desperately need more point distribution than they had tonight. You have to start somewhere. And remember where Toronto started. Stealing game three. Can play much worse in game three. If you're Just remember that. As we yelled during the Lakers series, score a hundred points. You'll be in great position to win if you just score a hundred points in the 2021 National Basketball Association. Something that the Lakers couldn't figure out how to do. Is the Phoenix Denver series over? I'd like to think so. The Suns, the way that they're clicking now is something that 
was happening at times during the regular season. I don't think many people were paying attention to it. They certainly are now. And you can just feel the Nuggets not having their second best player. I know they have the now MVP, which isn't the best of things over the last several years. You win the MVP, you don't get to the finals. Can we stop the Chris Paul nonsense, please? You know how, how, we, how we should be the MVP? Please. Chris Paul's had a, a terrific year, but let's remember, folks, let's not make it sound like he took a team that was, you know, 20 and 52 last year. Remember, this was the team that in the race for the postseason was undefeated in the bubble without him. So we had a little inkling of what was coming. A little help from the bench and a Denver team that worked out against Portland and a Denver team that is without their second best player who would be matching up with Booker throughout this playoff, just the way he matched up with Donovan Mitchell in last year's playoff when they came back from 3-1. And he matched up with Paul George when they came back from 3-1. And when he couldn't match up with the Laker multitude of lengthy guard defenders, even though he did so for at least one game. Of course they miss him. Right now, the MVP is all by himself. And Chris Paul has a ton of help. For the other series, I don't trust the Clippers and I don't trust the Hawks, especially the Clippers. You're just waiting for the Clippers to clip. But even if they go down 2-0, they proved that they could come back. Absolutely. They have the talent to do it. They have a, a, an all-world player and a terrific player where times is great and other times is very good. So there we go with the NBA playoffs. We need much more time to get into spin rate gate in major league baseball, which I'm excited to talk to you about pitchers and how much is too much, etc. But before we get out of here to a different diamond, the day we're recording the podcast, the women's college world series came to Oklahoma one of the best teams in softball history puts a feather in their cap for that and wins the college world series five to one over my Florida state Seminoles as an ACC radio getting up off the mat down two one in the sixth down two one in game two and down one game to none six outs left. They rally from a 2-1 deficit, win game two, and then roll in game three. A team, folks, that I believe is, I think they were 55-4, and four, something like that. They had four losses total. They and played 60 games, and they avenged every one of their four losses the next game. And my son and I went through it last night. I believe they scored in. Double digits, 26 of those games. All-time home run record broken last night. You look at their lineup and the stats of their lineup, and it looks like they're coming out of a juice ball. Batting average, 450. Home runs, 28. RBIs, 70. Your batting average, 450. Home runs, 26. RBIs, 65. Batting average, 435. 25 home runs, 72 RBIs. These OPSs, OPSs are all over the house. Yeah. They got a player, a freshman, 
runner-up player of the year who's now coming off the bench, and she lost her job as a junior to a freshman. They are so loaded. And, folks, yes, we are finishing the show with women's slash girls slash ladies college softball in the circle because to be part of the old report, new report, you must be versatile. You must show an interest and a knowledge and a love for all the games played by all the participants, male and female. And my son and I watched game one and we watched game two. Obviously today I was working. So what happened for game three, Al? Why weren't you able to watch game three to decide the national championship? Why? Because it's on ESPN. And since they've got the basketball, there's no place to put the game except 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Perish the thought they give the girls a day off. Perish the thought after playing, you know, 87 games in a week. Could we give them a day off to rest after the first two games and play game three tomorrow? Would that be so bad? Can we give that a shot? And let them have all the, all the TV audience to themselves? How about it? Not at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Quickly, let me mention Jocelyn Bonds ended her season with a 475 batting average. And seemingly every time she hit the ball, it was news because it was either a home run or it was news because she didn't happen to hit a home run. ALO, if you're spelling at home, unbelievable series. And as you mentioned, that whole lineup, you're waiting for the lull in a sense. Every lineup you look for, okay, there's a couple hitters back to back. Where's the out? Where's her? Where's, where's my the out girl? There's where's none. my out girl? There's not one down their entire lineup. And then they throw out G Suarez. Let me get her last name right because the Oklahoma people hopefully are listening. G Juarez, I should say. G Juarez comes out in game two, twirls a gem, and then follows up in game three with the same. Gave up one hit. I'm saying one, it was actually two, but the second hit was because the second baseman lost the ball in the sun and it bounced right in front of her and the runner ran to second and that's how Florida State scored its only run because they accidentally lost the ball in the sun. The play was either hit it in the air if you're Oklahoma, it'll be a home run in game three or hit it in the air if you're Florida State and maybe it'll get lost in the sun. They unfortunately couldn't keep the ball on the ground and as they did so well in game one, hit it on the ground, find a hole, make things happen on the base paths. Incredible game plan. And unfortunately, G put a complete stop to that. So not only do they have one of the best lineups ever, they also have a stud pitcher they could throw out in back-to-back games, shutting down the Florida State offense in less than 24 hours. And that is where there's trouble. You and I play baseball. Your son plays baseball. You play in high school. You play travel ball. You play legion ball. When you do any of those things, actually, because in the Northeast, the way that March and April can be, you might get whole first weeks and second weeks of your baseball season snowed out. Snow's on the field. I know all too well. Too cold. You can't play. So you're playing four or five times a week. The two best teams in college softball that ended up getting to the national championship, Florida State and Oklahoma, 
played eight games in eight days. Eight games in eight days. One of those days, they played two. Would have the next day, but Mother Nature thankfully said, no, you're just playing one. Florida State played one game during the College World Series that ended about an hour before I go to bed around 2.50 a.m. Eastern Time. They leave that game, get back to where they're staying, maybe fall asleep by 4 a.m., and then they got to get up in four hours and go take a COVID test to make sure they could play the next day. It's ludicrous. Two primetime games on ESPN for game one and game two. Game two was watched by two million people. The most viewed game two ever. And the peak was 2.6 million. Amazing. But because ESPN wanted to keep the NBA game on at its time, they bumped the College World Series to 3 p.m. on a Thursday. Not only are you doing a disservice to the women playing eight games in eight days, where, mind you, when the men's teams get to the College World Series, it's just super regionals now. But the women basically have seven days to get all this in. A week. Let's go. The men have 11, sometimes 12. Where are the built-in off days? I understand that the pitching staffs in softball can usually pitch on shorter rest. It was shown in game two and three. No no rest. But the point is, it's just a a total slap in the face. In so many ways. I'm not going to use the terms because we used to be able to say fair or sex. But to the ladies slash girls slash women, it's a total slap in the face. It's incredibly disrespectful to jam all those games in with no days. And then after they bring you that kind of audience, that kind of rating, that kind of entertainment, you not only do you make them play the next day, you make them play it during the day where you can't get nearly the exposure for them, which they richly deserve. They deserve to be on center stage with everything on the line and the whole world, the whole sports world that wanted to watch, be able to watch. And I couldn't, you couldn't, more than, I would say probably more than half the world that wanted to couldn't because they stick it out at three o'clock the next day. And it's a quick game. It's softball. So even if you're leaving work at five, you're probably still not getting home to catch any of it. You may Some be things the just aren't right. Some things don't smell good. This reeks. This stinks. What they did to them wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It wasn't cool. And it was incredibly disrespectful to the sport, to the teams, to the coaches, to the fans, to the folks who wanted to watch it. But most of all, to those players who work their asses off and are a blast to love because they play with great heart, great soul, great competitiveness, great spirit. They play so hard and they show such great spirit, team camaraderie. And the fact that they stuck them there to me is unacceptable in ESPN. Every pitch, 
they're showing every emotion manageable. It's a joy to watch college softball, especially when it comes to the postseason, especially when it's these two teams that lost their first game, had elimination games the rest of the way. Bad enough that they have to play day after day after day because while the pitchers might be able to take it, there's eight other players on the field, as far as I remember, Al, when softball's played. There's still nine of them out there playing a game today on what feels like 104 degrees on the field in their national championship game at 3 p.m. Eastern time. It's a shame on the NCAA. It's a shame on the television crews that make these decisions. And thankfully, coaches are starting to speak up about it. We saw today how fast the wheels can move if they really want them to in college athletics. We're putting 12 teams in the college football playoff. All right, sign it up. How many years is it going to take? Get Let's the calendar some, out and we'll circle the date. Let the new report, old report, put some oil into this squeaky wheel. Keep sounding the alarm on how preposterous this was. And you don't have to go overboard with it. But all you needed was two days in between the eight. Have a day off in between series at least. Have your best teams and players at their best. Who wouldn't want that? It's just common sense. And it was a slap in the face to the sport. And I'm not Absolutely. saying that Florida State would have won or it would have went differently. Doesn't if matter. They had rest. It's not the point. It's not the point. It's got nothing to do with who won. It's got to do with the respect for the teams, the players, and the game. And it didn't respect the game. Both deserved a day off, could have used a day off. Certainly Florida State could have some of their injuries, but the point is they also both deserve to be in prime time. And do what you do to baseball for softball. You want instant replay in baseball? Put it in softball. You want days off in between series so the pitchers can get some rest and the players can get some rest? Why aren't you doing the same for softball? Some of the discrepancies blow my mind and continue to in all women's sports, which thankfully now in the age of social media and different ways to get out information, it's being put to the forefront. You want to give us a weight room at the NCAA tournament with a couple yoga mats and weights you could go buy at the local Dick's and think that that's a good enough gym for us to get ready for the games? We're putting me on blast, NCAA. Keep putting their ass on blast. But it was a great series to watch. And a historic team, the Goliath, came away victorious. But not not without a huge, huge scare put in by a gritty, gutty Florida State group. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Pleasure is always mine, folks. For my partner, the great one, John Tiny Lund. I am Alvinado, a.k.a. from White Plains. Have a great and safe sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.